Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Man, come on, give God some praise. And the worship team. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I asked them, what's the song? What's that, what was that thing that you guys were singing? Where you'll be, we will be. And they're like, nah, that, God just gave it to us right there. And um, that was a very important part of worship. And I praise the Lord that we could be sensitive. I need you all to listen to this. I praise the Lord that we could be sensitive that if the Lord wants to sing a new song, we could sing a new song in the midst of an old song that we had planned to sing. And I think there's a beauty behind that. Lord, we're going to sing a new song to you before your presence. Amen. Awesome. As I'm preaching, if some of these things just fall on my, in my back, you know, just, just, just deal with it together. And um, some of them might fall, some of the sticky stuff might fall off, but it's good. We have some back there that we want them to fall into your hands. So, so praise God. Praise God. All right. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Loving neighbor. Loving neighbor part three. Um, I don't, did you get the clip? All right. Let's just enjoy this. Let's just enjoy this for a moment. Just bring a smile into your face, you know. Maybe you walked in discouraged. Maybe you walked in with some pain. But Mr. Roger has a gift of making you smile on a cloudy day. How many of y'all will say amen to that? Mr. Roger's got a gift, man. Come on, sing him. Let the spirit move over your life. Y'all ready to sing with him? All right, let the worship leader come out. Here we go. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So. Let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Amen to that. He's got a way of taking off his suit, putting on his sweater, taking off those, you know, those shoes are uncomfortable and putting on those comfy shoes and it just makes you feel comfortable inside. It makes you feel warm. That's why he does that. You got to see the documentary. I'm telling you, he's a very interesting man. He wanted to make sure that when you started every episode, you felt comfortable. So he represented the, with the sweater and changing his shoes to say, welcome to my house. He said something important. He says, I always wanted to be part of a neighborhood a neighborhood with you, wouldn't you? And I, and I look at this right here and I say, well, here's the neighborhood. This is our hood. This is our culture. This is our community. And um, I think it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Would you be my neighbor? 
And I think there's something beautiful there because that's what we are. We're neighbors to each other. We are a community. We are, we are, a, we are neighbors. Yes, we're family and all that, but, but in the context of this, this little intro song speaks to us. But you know, you know in Jerusalem, some 2,000, what, years ago, the movement of the church exploded. Did you guys know that in the book of Acts? And what a beautiful neighborhood, what a beautiful community was established. Peter preached that day and 3,000 got saved. But you know, that neighborhood was um, shaken up a little bit. It was stirred. It was moved. Because that community of believers that erupted in Jerusalem, guess where they had to go? Back to their neighborhood. And, and I think it's special because they had to go back to the places where they lived. They didn't necessarily live in Jerusalem. And what they needed to do was they needed to, they needed to take back what was done in this community. They needed to take back to their community. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that what happens here and as we grow and as we get into the word and as we're challenged and as we challenge you even with certain things, which really this should be nothing, but hopefully it becomes something if you're not doing nothing or anything about it. And we go out to this world and what happens within this neighborhood begins to have an effect in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and in our workplaces. How many times do we say that, right? In our spaces of work, uh, wherever it is, in whatever line that you, that you work in, and whatever it is that you occupy, in, in all kinds of spaces that, that, that Christ would be uh, just uh, shine and glow through you in all those areas that you occupy. Amen? And, and I want to talk about loving neighbor, and I'm going to continue on this thought, and I'm going to go as long as the Lord wants us to go on. I believe next week's going to be special as well, because you're going to hear voices and other voices with mine that we're going to testify and talk about some of these things. And if I were to name this message anything or title, it would be loving neighbor praise. A loving neighbor praise. There is no way that I can be a loving neighbor, but yet I'm not praying. And I'm not living a life of prayer. I will get there to the end. You might see me for the first 20 minutes like, what is this guy doing talking about praying? But at the end, you'll see the importance of how a loving neighbor is to have a heart of prayers, to be constantly praying, and is to have a lifestyle of deep prayer moving inside of them. Amen. I, I, I thought about this, you know, as we talk about loving neighbor, because the world is hurting. And, and it's hurting, and it's been hurting for a long time, and we know this. We know this, that since the fall in Genesis We've seen the, 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 intent, the, the, the tenacity and the depth of how much it's hurting and, and what's happening there. And we've learned so much about depression. And we've spoken about it here at church and anxiety. And uh, we, we've spoken about all these, all these different things um, that really affect us, that are all-time high. Think about the mass shootings that have happened here recently and continue to happen in our country, they shock us to our core, at least they do to me. When I wake up and I get that, that bulletin on my, on my phone, and it's the news, and it says 20-something shot dead, and man, it cuts you deep in here, you know? And then you put on the news and you recognize that some of them were two months and some of them were 80, and it, and it doesn't matter, it just hurts you. You think about the political fighting here done in the United States, the back and forth, the, ad the agendas that are being pushed. Think about this for a moment. You think all that stuff is a coincidence? This whole stuff about people fighting and all, all these things that are going on. And, the, and this, there's, there's an agenda that's being pushed behind, or, or behind the scenes. And if you're not conscious of that, I don't know where you're living in and what world you're living in. There is an agenda that this world is pushing forward. 
And they want to see how much we'll budge, how much we'll give into it, little by little, little by little. They continue with this agenda. And I'm telling you that all of this stuff that's happening with our country, all of this stuff that's happening, it's causing people to live and to be on edge. Have you noticed that? People are on edge and, and they become anxious and people now are more anxious. Some people are saying it's got to be technology, it's the phones, and maybe it is. Maybe it's the news and what they're feeding us. And, and I, I don't know the stuff that we're giving into, but anxiety is there and depression is there. And, and I believe all this stuff is part of it. People are just on edge. They're becoming anxious. And, and if you notice, a lot of people, they're becoming more aggressive. People are just becoming aggressive and, 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 and they're just becoming tougher and stronger. And it's like, whoa, where's the heart? Where's humanity? Where's the goodness that we know that so many can have and I'm sure many do have? And anyone now in these days and, or, or everyone can now be a voice of influence because we have something called social media. And anyone could say, you know, I can say whatever I want, however I want to say it. And, and here we are and we use this and we're a voice of influence because of it. And it's part of the world now. And some of you like it, some of you don't. And it really doesn't matter. It's part of our world whether you like it or not. Social media is not going anywhere. It's just going to grow. You could see people on the other side of the world. I'm t soon there will be holograms. They'll show up in your living room. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, you know, it's just going to... I'm just saying. It's part of our world, whether we like it or not. Anyone can share their opinion as if it's truth. And everyone has to agree with them because it's their truth. So they use social media to... To share their opinion. And so many use this tool, this platform of live streaming, video blogging, and posting. I wrote this opinionated threads without caring for the heart of those who are reading on the other side. Not thinking where this may travel to and the effect it may have on someone else. You could do so much good with it, but you could also cause a lot of harm. How many of you have seen harm? Because, because of something that could also be used for good. And, I, and, and, and my thoughts were, if, man, if we could just purposely do better. If we could be conscious with what we do, with what we say, with what we post, and how we respond. How much better if it can come from a place of gentleness? How much better would it be if it comes from a place of kindness? If it comes from a place of tenderness? If we can come from a place where it's filled with love, a place of love, where it's clothed with love. And I get it, man. Love can be strong at times. It's okay. Love can confront. Love can be painful. Love can hurt. Yes? Any? any? And maybe you say, but why? Because love is also truth. True love is true. True love, true. There's truth in love. You can't love but yet live, operate in falsehood. Love is truth. Love is truth. And because of that, that's why it hurts. That's why it's strong. That's why it confronts. That's why it could be painful because it's truth. And, 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 and truth will always have those kind of effects. True love always operates from truth and grace. Always. It is truth and it is grace. Everyone say this with me. God is love. I mean, we could, we could defend that. God is love. He is love and 
And, and then what's beautiful about God being love is that John 15, 13 teaches us something that we should all know. And what is it? That here is Jesus and he comes into this world. And why does Jesus come into this world? To demonstrate this love in which what we just said was God is love. You want to know the Father? Look at me. You want to know his love? Watch me demonstrate it. So Jesus comes and demonstrates such a love. John 15 tells us, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friend, for his neighbor, for another. So, so, so Jesus is demonstrating what God is. Because I am the son of God, I will operate in the love of God. And he's demonstrating this love. And when he's demonstrating this love, he is demonstrating it with truth. And he's demonstrating it with grace. Yes or no? How many of you have experienced Christ's love in truth? Now, how do you feel? Sometimes it was beautiful. It was good. But how many times, man, did it humble you? And did it break you? And was he teaching you? Huh? Love is truth. And how many of you have experienced his love and it's been grace? His love is grace. You can't separate truth from grace. They operate together. They, they come together. They, they flow together. And, and Jesus is, is going to teach us this. In John 1.14, what, what does the writer say? He says, man, we beheld his glory. This is talking about Jesus. We beheld his glory. And what was his glory? It was the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Look what Jesus was full of. What? You're full of it. Yeah, he was full of it, all right. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. He was full of it, full of grace and full of truth. And when he demonstrated this love on earth, the writer saying, man, he, he demonstrated and he lived as we beheld his glory from a place of grace and truth. There is no way that you could separate Christ from the word grace, and there's no way that you could separate Christ from the word truth. It's together in who he is, and it should be together in who we are becoming. Christ was full of love. Say that to yourself. Say it out loud if you want. Christ is full of love. And what's beautiful about this is he comes to define it. He comes to exhibit and usher this love to his followers in this world. That's what he does. I'm, I'm, I'm here to usher in a movement. And it's a movement of love. How many of you know that there's a movement of love right now in this country? But I will stand before that and say the movement of love that I'm talking about may be a whole different kind of movement. Because it's a movement that has grace, but it's also a movement that has truth in it. And he's coming to usher this movement of love and into this world to define it and exhibit and to bring forth and usher it in. And, and you think about him coming and I say, man, you know, I don't have to look too far. I don't have to wait for my phone to alert me. I don't have to wait to turn on the news. I don't have to look too far. I don't have to look around our country to see the pain in humanity because our very own city cries out to us. I'm going to go a little bit more personal with you. I don't have to go too far around our country to see the pain in humanity because not only does our very own city cry out to us, but how many of us can relate to this? Our very homes cry out to us.
How many of you is your very home crying out because it lacks the love of Christ? You're trying to save, you're trying to save Afghanistan through a missions trip, but you're losing your home. You, you do good in operating in love in Haiti, but how do you operate in love in your living room? Our very home cries out for hope and for love, and God places this man of God there first, or God places this woman of God there first, or God places this union there first, and what happens is that house begins to erupt with a love that ushered in them, and now they usher it into every bedroom, into every child, and into every friend that walks in. What is it about that house? It is the love of Christ that is risen in this place. Just think about it. Just think about it. Our very own families cry out. Our very own house. They're hurting. They're lost. They're broken. Where is the love in which we'll confront them? Which will, which will confront them? That is able to bring internal transformation, which brings forth a spiritual and physical resurrection. If you're taking notes, write this down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to a place real quick. It's found in Luke chapter 1. It's, it's an awesome passage actually, but I can't go into all of it because it's actually pretty awesome, pretty deep. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a, uh, something that was said in, in this passage. Let me give you a little background on what's happening here. If you remember, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and he says, you're going to be with child. He's like, how? Oh, I've never known a man. This is, how is this going to happen? Mary's very young. I'm not even married yet. I'm engaged, but how, What? And the angel says, yeah, but this is what I'm doing. I'm going to help you out here because I'm going to give you a community to do this stuff with. But not only are you going to get pregnant, you know your cousin, um, she's kind of old. <laughs> Elizabeth, that was her old cousin. You know, she was old. She was, she's going to be pregnant too. He's like, what? Elizabeth at this age? He goes, yeah. You see, you're going to be, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and put a seed in you, but. But Elizabeth and Zechariah, they'll come together and they're going to bring forth a child and, and go, go visit her. There's some things there that I want to do and I need you guys to have some conversations over there. She spent some months with her. She didn't just go visit her. She stayed with her for a while. And that was a very special moment. But in Luke 1, this cousin of Mary called Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, they couldn't have children. And finally, God's going to give them a child. And God gives them their son. Does anyone know who their son is? John the Baptist. And Zechariah, when he's born, when John the Baptist is born, he begins to sing a song that the Holy Spirit begins to release in him. I, I need you guys to understand that a while ago we were talking about singing a song and melodies. Well, he began to release a melody that, which was happening within him. In Luke 1, verse 1, it says, He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to prophesy. And he began to prophesy and sing the song. And in the, in the midst of the song, he says something very important. I, I want to just read it to you because there's so much prophecy. There's so much depth into what he's saying. But I want you to look at verse 78 and 79. Because I want to focus real quick on Jesus, not necessarily John the Baptist right now. He mentions Jesus as he mentions a lot of his son John the Baptist in this prophecy. 
And here's one of the things that he said. Uh, Luke 1, verse 78. He says, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. You guys see that? I'll, I'll read 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus hasn't even drank his first bottle of milk yet. And look at this prophecy. Through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Another translation will say it this way. Where the morning light from heaven has come to us. The morning light. Another translation says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. What are these things saying? Day spring, morning light, sunrise. It's speaking about Christ, who's the day spring. What is it saying? That he is the rising of light that has come to shine upon darkness. He is this day, he is this day spring, this rising light, this morning light from the heaven. And he's visiting us. He has visited us. And why is he visiting? Why has he visited everyone on verse 79? He is visiting with a purpose for a purpose. What's 79 say? To give light. To who? There's people that are sitting in darkness. And he comes to bring light. To those who are sitting in darkness. To those who are under the shadow of death. And why is he bringing light? Because his light guides. His light directs. His light will take you. And his light it says to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's something that, that this day spring is ushering in. These verses as I read them are incredible to me. And they should be incredible to you. Because what is it showing you? I believe it's showing us something very specific about God. It is showing us the kind and tender nature of God. I do believe that. It says here, he visited, he, he visited humanity. You see, God didn't just merely pity us from a distance. Oh my God, they're horrible. Wow, I just messed up with my creation. Those people, are, they stink. Oh my God, I feel so bad for them. Look what they've done for themselves. He doesn't do that. He doesn't pity us from a distance, nor does he allow his compassion. Remember that word? Compassion for us to remain as unresolved or as an inactive feeling. He didn't look at them and say, oh, I'm moved with compassion for them, but oh, they'll deal with it. His compassion said, there's a response. Even God... On his throne in majesty and glory said, I am moved with such compassion for humanity that all I could do is respond to them. When he did not have to respond a lick to anyone. But he's moved with compassion to respond, to visit man. What is, what is God? What is God? What, is it? what am I telling you? What is he? What is he? He is what? He is mindful of you. He's mindful of you. How many of you are struggling in here? How many of you are heavy in here? How many of you are burdened in here? How many of you are depressed in here? How many of you are anxious in here? How many are under a shadow of death in here? How many of you are under this cloud? And I'm telling you today, there is hope. There is a light that has risen. And he's coming to direct you and guide you. And he wants to take you to a way where there's no more conflict and war. But a way where there is peace. And all of this is because he's moved with compassion. And at the end of the day, the the main thing that we could say is he looks at you and he says, I am mindful of you. I know your very detail. I am mindful of where you're at. 
I'm mindful. And because he is mindful, he what? He visits. He reaches out. You want to know someone that's mindful? They reach out. They visit. And that's what, that's what he does. He's mindful. Who does that sound like? What does David say? David says it. In Psalm 8.4, he writes, What is man that you are mindful of him? Son of man that you visit him. Because he's mindful, because he's moved with compassion, because he's filled with love, he says, I come and visit you. How many of you have had a great visitation from the Lord? Okay, amen. Watch this. How many of you are continuing to have great visitations from the Lord? Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this one because I don't want to make anyone feel awkward. How many of you deep down in your gut, man, in your soul, you're longing for a great visitation from the Lord? I need him to visit me like never before. He's kind and he's tender towards us. And that's exactly what he did. He was mindful and he visited. Can you say that? Thank you for visiting me. Not 2,000 years ago. You still visit me today. Last week we said, as we ended the message, we went into Matthew 23 and Luke 19. Remember that? And Jesus is looking at Jerusalem. And as he's looking at Jerusalem, he weeps for her. And what does he say? He says, you did not recognize it when I visited you. When God visited you, you didn't recognize it. And then he tells her, you won't see me again until you confess, until you say blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He's telling Jerusalem that my visitation is not going to come until you know and accept me for who I am. And I thought about this and I, as, as I shared that last week and I said, many are among us today, maybe even our own neighborhood, like Mr. Rogers just saying. Our own families, our own homes. Many are among us today who have not recognized his visit. How many people do you know who have not recognized the visit of Christ yet? Come on, just think about that. How many of you are here because Christ visited you through someone? Oh, man, that was, you know, that, that, that statement is a little bit more powerful than what I thought. Can you stand up if you're here because Christ visited you and he used it through someone else? That's powerful. So I want to talk to these people real quick. Because that means that you guys that are standing, someone came into your life. And through that someone coming into your life, you saw God visit you. There was a visitation from God. And God used that person. Now I'm wondering if they ushered something to you that was first ushered to them. And that's what's happening here. And I asked you guys to stand. Because can you imagine where you would be right now? If that person didn't have the boldness, the grace, or the truth to stand in front of you and love you with such a love that has impacted you, that today you're still singing and dancing with your God. Let's give God some praise for that. Thank you, Lord. It's powerful. You may be seated. As you stood up, I want you to think about this for a moment. I said many of us are here and they haven't recognized his visitation and there's no excuse. I wrote this down. I want to write, read this exactly how I wrote it. It's purposely done 
so that we can be the love of Christ to those so that we can be the visitation that they would come to know him. How many of you are praying for someone for five, ten years, however long, God just visit them in a special way and God's like, I'm calling you to visit them. <laughs> no, no, I'm praying for you to visit them. He's like, right, but I'm doing it through you. If you're praying for them, I showed you the need. Go fill the need. And I'll watch me meet the need. You have my love. You've been praying for that love to execute in their lives. Walk into their life and be my love and visit them so that their lives can be transformed. Oh, I'm not going to pray for people anymore. If he's going to ask me to keep doing that. Be careful what you pray. Because it might be the same door that God opens up for you. To, all right. So what is Jesus doing? He ushers this love to us so that we could do the same for others. So the Lord took me to a place where maybe I didn't want to go, a place where you may not even want to go today, but it doesn't matter because if that's where he wants us to go, we have no choice. See, in life, circumstances, in life, situations in life, things with people, circumstances with people, circumstances with family, with friends, there's so many things that could cause us to lose the tenderness in our heart. And when we speak of tenderness in the Bible, the Bible also describes it as gentleness. The Bible also describes it as kindness. That's why I love that Magnolia used kindness and we're using love. And um, it, it's all connected because this tenderness can be described as gentleness and kindness. But I like the word tenderness. And the reason why I like the word tenderness is because one of the definitions of tenderness is this. Ready? Sensitive. How many of you are like, well, I'm not sensitive, you know? Well, God's called you to have a tender heart, you know. What I mean by sensitive is you're sensitive to others. You're sensitive to the suffering. You're tender-hearted. To properly love, there needs to be a sensitivity of the heart. How many of you could say amen? A tender-heartedness. In, in Proverbs 28, 14, it says, Happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Eugene Peterson describes it like this. A tender-hearted person lives a blessed life. A hard-hearted person lives a hard life. Who are we today? And, and I know that Christians, man, we struggle with this. How many of you struggle with having a hard heart sometimes? All right, thank you for being honest. Sometimes it's a struggle. Today, I just, I'm not feeling it. I'm in a bad mood. My heart is hardened. I'm upset. I'm bitter. There's things going on in my life, and that's normal. I'm telling you right now that all of us in this room, we're going, we've gone through this struggle, and I know that it's biblical, and I know that Christians deal with it, because if not, why would Paul write about it? And Paul writes about it in, in Ephesians chapter 4 to the church of Ephesus, and I'm going to read these verses, chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Look what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 29 and 32. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart what? Impart grace, beautiful, to the hearers. Look at 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 31. Here it is. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice 32 and be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as christ has forgiven you paul is dealing with the church man here and, and he's he's trying to tell the church why why is there bitterness and wrath and anger and evil speaking among you 
Well, why is there all these things? Why are you grieving the Holy Spirit? Man, look at the words that are coming out of your mouth, he's telling them. They're for edification. They're not to destroy. They're to give life. Yes, it's to be loving and it's to be graceful at the same time. You're grieving the Holy Spirit because you're operating in a false love, in a false truth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with him. But instead, he says, let the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the evil speaking, let all of that malice, let it all be put away from you. And what do I do then? Man, let your hearts be tender. Forgive each other. And I believe the Lord is, is speaking this as loving neighbor. The reason we may be or we may not be operating and living in such love may be because, may be because our hearts are not tender and we're not sensitive to operating in such a, in such a love. Where we say we love, but maybe in my life I show different than what I say. And I believe our healing in this matter, to make it right, to set us on the right path again, is to begin to learn how to pray properly. What do I mean by prayer? Everyone say pray. How do you pray? How many of you pray? How many of you don't pray? How many of you really pray? And, and, and then when we say pray, how many of you pray his prayers? Not your prayers, but his heart in your prayers. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 141. Maybe, maybe this will mean something to you. You tell me what the psalm is his praying. And this is King David. Well, he's not king yet. He's just David running for his life. He's David who is suffering. He is David who Saul wants to kill. He is David who is, who is I mean, just picture what he's doing here. They're after him. He's a fugitive. They want to kill him. And he writes down this prayerful psalm. It's known as a psalm. It's a prayer psalm. And in Psalm 141, verse 1, he says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as an incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my what? And over my mouth. And keep watch over the door of my lips. And do not incline my heart to do any evil thing or to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. Did you catch something from David's prayer? I did. He's writing in a very distressful and, and a time of distress in his life. King Saul is pursuing him to kill him. And yet, in this matter, David recognizes, he recognizes that through this prayer, that it shows us the importance of having the right heart in prayer. And what is he praying for? Notice what he's praying for. He's praying for his lips, that he would say the right words. He's praying for his heart, that he would live out the right life. Did you see that? The man is after me to kill me. Any other man would say, Get, bring him over here. I'm going to make sure I hide and I sharpen my sword. I'll show him who to mess with. But David says, no, I'm going to run to prayer. And what does he do? He says, Lord, guard my heart. Lord, guard my lips. Let not a word be uttered that is not of you. And let not an act come out of my heart that is not of you. Protect and guard my mouth, my lips, and my heart so that I will not practice evil, but that I will do good. Can you imagine being chased to be killed and praying that prayer? Seriously, what do you do when people talk bad about you? How do you respond to it? 
even when they're lies? How do you respond to it? When people backstab you, how do you respond to it? When people hurt you, how do you respond to that? David is, is stops his, and he's praying for his words, for his lips, for his heart. And if you study the life of David, he remains loyal to King Saul. To the point where he, he at one point saw sleeping and he takes out his sword and he's like, this is my chance. I could kill this man right here. No one would even know who it was. I'll just kill him and go. And he still doesn't kill him. He spares his life. And you could look at David and say, what a fool. What a, what a fool. That would have been the moment I would have sliced his head off or, you know, these were some crazy times. But instead, David, who man would look at as a fool because he didn't kill his enemy, he honors God's anointed king. And he says, I'm just going to let God deal with him. And David was concerned that he himself, that he would keep himself tender in this matter rather than filled with malice to kill the king. Lord, just keep me tender. I mean, it's a life that I don't understand that through prayer, David is seeking the tenderness of God to remain settled in his heart. How many of you know that David made a lot of mistakes? I mean, a lot of mistakes. I mean, David dropped the ball, not once, but I mean many times. In one sin, he committed, I I don't know if anyone has has mastered what he did. In one sin, he says, watch this, I'm going to commit 20 sins in one sin. I mean, he just, he went down the book. Watch what I'm going to unleash here. I'm going to unleash fury of sin all in one act. I mean, David, David. At times, man, he, he, he wasn't perfect. God was dealing with him. And I, and I think about David's life, moments like this with Saul, and then moments like with Bathsheba. And I'm like, man, who is David? And I'm like, David is me. <laughs> David is you. And, and, I, and, I, and I look at David's life, and, and I said, man, I, no wonder God continues to grace David, even through his wrong. Why would God grace David even in his wrong? Anyone want to give a shot? He admits it. He uses something for good. All things for good. He's after God's heart. He humbles himself. Great answers. David is, 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 has done so much wrong, but yet God continues to give him grace and give him a throne and, and bless David's seed. I mean, bless, everyone say, bless David's seed. Yeah, that the Messiah walks in and they're saying what? Son of David. He's in his throne. He's like, God is being called my son. I mean, I mean, David is being graced. For thousands of years, we still see the grace of God over David, who did so many things good and so many things wrong. And why? Well, someone said it. The prophet gives us the understanding. Samuel, when he tells Saul this, he says, but now, Saul, your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart and the Lord commanded him to be the commander over the people because you haven't kept what the Lord commanded you David did wrong but David continued to keep the one thing most important and it remained him tender he always repented he went back and I think about Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4 that I read to you he says remove these things to the Christians the way you speak, the way you live amongst each other, the way you, you, you do evil. Man, remove these things from you and have a tender heart, Paul tells them in Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus, write this down, Matthew 15, verse 18, 19, and 20. Jesus is saying the same thing. Why would Paul say that? Because Jesus said it. 
In Matthew 15, 18, Jesus' words to his disciples, he says, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the They come from the heart. And they defile a man, for out of the heart, what comes out of the heart? Proceeds evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and theft and false witness and blasphemies. These are things which defile a man. It's not that they're just murderers. It started in the heart. It's not that they're just liars. It started in the heart. It's not that they just have evil thoughts. It started in the heart. Why do you think God says, man, make sure to guard your heart. Keep it tender because that stuff starts in the depth of who you are. So in order to really love, to love effectively, to love Christ, to love as Christ loves, you must keep your heart tender. How do you love when people and things hurt you, when those individuals have hurt you. Oh, I love when Jesus says this. Just flow with me here. When Jesus says in Luke 6, 27, but I say to you who hear, you love your enemies. Really. You do good to those who hate you. You bless those who curse you. What does he say next? Come on. And you pray. You pray for those who spite you and use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, you offer the other one. Balance it out. From him who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic. You want my cloak? Have this as well. Obviously, you're in great need. <laughs> Give to everyone who asks. And from him who takes away your goods, don't ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, do them. You do it likewise to them. Love your enemies, sure. I think verse 28 and 31, give it to us. Please go back to verse 28. He says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Pray for those who do these things. Because I believe that in prayer, you won't do as they do. You'll be moved to do what he does. And you'll be moved with greater tenderness. They might act out in wrath, but you're going to live out in tenderness. Everyone go to verse 31. Why do I have to pray for those who have hurt me? Why do I have to pray for the situations that have spited me? 31 says, and just as you want men to do, you also do them, you do to them likewise. I believe verse 28, pray for those, is paralleled and is related to verse 31. Because if you pray for those, then 31, then you'll do what 31 says. What is it? You'll do to men what you want done to you. You'll operate with a different kind of tenderness and love. By praying for an enemy, you guard your heart so you don't become like them. You know why God gives us these situations in life? How many of you have been hurt? How many of you, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's someone that you trusted, how many of you have been affected in life before? You know why God allowed some of those things? Because, yeah, God's going to deal with every party, but God also wants, to, he also wants to deal with your heart and he wants to change it. Why did this happen? I'm doing something in you. You just haven't seen it yet. How many of you have experienced very tough circumstances and when you've come out of it, you recognize that it was God dealing with you? It was God dealing with you. God dealing with you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. You know, Paul says something very important to the church. And he says to the church, because of the circumstances of life, 
because the issues with people, because of the issues that we have. I opened up the service by saying this world is hurting, this world is filled with pain. There are neighbors, there are neighbors that are in pain, and sometimes it's those very neighbors that we're close to. And people are depressed and anxious and hurting and are in pain. And Paul says something so beautiful. He says, be anxious for nothing in Philippians 4. But in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, look what he says. Let your request be made known to God and may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. I love how the message Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns before you know it. A sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Be anxious for nothing. Make no room for the anxieties and the worries and the problems of life. But what do I do then to fight these things and confront these things? In all things, pray, commit them to the Lord. In every circumstance, whether it's good or whether it's bad, man, in everything by prayer, let it be known to God. Seriously here for a moment, as we get ready to close, what does your prayer sound like? Are you a loving neighbor or do you see yourself, man, that it's hard for you to be loving towards others? Could it be because the heart of Christ has still not taken over your heart? And could it be that he's ushering you into a place of prayer and not just uh, pray more or pray less, or, but pray like this? That we need to establish our prayer and be mindful of our prayer. And yeah, he may not answer everything that I'm praying for, but he wants to guard my heart. He wants to guard my mind. Because in guarding my heart and in my mind and praying in all things, Paul says, we'll have the peace of God in our hearts. He says this, dear brothers and sisters, in verse 8 and 9, one final thing. You fix your thoughts on what is true, on what is honorable, on what is right on what is pure, on what is lovely, on what is admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and that are praiseworthy. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then God, the God of peace, will be with you. My God. So I say this. I say maybe God's challenging the way we pray. I shared this during midweek. That I had to evaluate myself and say, where's my prayer coming from? Where's the motives behind how I pray? What's the heart behind how? Do you pray just so that you could receive something? What's the motive behind your heart? Are we praying his prayers? Is the heart and thoughts his behind our prayers? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it praiseworthy? Do this. Put this into practice, Paul says. And the God of peace will be with you. Remember this. You can't prevent people to do what they do to you. But you can prevent what you can do to others. We said that the prayer of a loving neighbor is consistent with the heart of God. The prayer of a loving neighbor speaks and declares agreement with the heart of God. The prayer of a loving neighbor reveals the heart of God. 
I think about Ezekiel. When he tells the people of Israel, I'm going to make you single of heart and I'm going to put a new spirit within you and I'm going to take away your stony, stubborn heart and I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart and you're going to obey my decrees and regulations and you'll truly be my people and I will be your God. And he says that to Israel who was in captivity and I think about us in here and those that are not in here. How many people are in captivity and what they need is they need God to do something to their heart to make it tender again so that they can become alive. Ezekiel the prophet is prophesying and and the Lord is telling Israel, I'm going to give you a single heart after me and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm changing your heart and your spirit so that you don't live the way you lived, hardened. I read Jeremiah chapter 18, 1, when the prophet was taken through a vision. And he says, come, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the continual captivity of Israel. I'm going to show you what you need to speak into Israel. And in Jeremiah 18, he's taken, and he's taken to a potter's house. And the potter's at the wheel. And, 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 and Jeremiah describes that, that this man is making this beautiful vase there on the, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the wheel. And in the midst of it, he sees something that is just mind-blowing. What does he see? The potter begins to grab the clay clay that he is forming. He says this. The Lord God gave me a message to go, and he said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. And I did as he told me, and I found the potter, and he was working at his wheel. And the jar that he was making didn't turn out the way he had hoped for. And because this jar didn't turn out the way he hoped for, look what Jeremiah says. He crushed it into a lump of clay again, and he started over. And then the Lord gave me this message, oh Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil way, I will not destroy it as I have planned and I will announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me I will not bless it as I should have therefore Jeremiah go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem and say this is what the Lord says he's warning them I'm the potter and you're the clay Israel, and I'm going to do the work in you, whether you reject me or not, but you're going to come to your senses. You're going to keep rejecting me? I'm going to keep pounding on the wheel. My God, that's tough love. This true love. Filled with grace. Filled with grace. Because I love them. I love my people. The potter loves them. And the Lord wanted to touch Israel's hearts. Why? Why does the Lord want to touch Israel's hearts? Why do you draw near to me? Have my heart on this world. Does anyone know what Israel was to be from the creation of Israel? A blessing to the nations Israel was to be and is to be. But you've been grafted into a promise. And you want to know what you've been grafted into? A blessing unto the nations. But it's got to start at the heart. It's got to be tender. I need to be a loving neighbor. So the Lord is challenging our church and the Lord is challenging me. Pray my prayers for that which has hurt you and pained you. And let your thoughts be lovely and let them be right. Let them be honorable. Let them be praiseworthy. And let them not be justice served. And let them not be, Lord, you show them your truth. And I said this on Wednesday and I said this on various phone calls this week. I said, 
Stop necessarily just praying for the thing or praying for the situation or praying for the person, but start to learn how to pray into the person. You've been wronged, you've been hurt, you've been affected. The situation has really sucked in your life. How can your prayer change? And how can you set yourself free through prayer? That situation can no longer have you bound and have power over you. And that person can no longer have you bound and have power over you. So what do I do then? Well, you better start praying the right way. Lord, I thank you. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to speak in my heart what is lovely, what is pure. Because my prayer used to sound like this. Lord, you know the truth. And because you are truth, you reveal. You reveal everything that is, that is not truth, Lord. And you just protect me and you guard my heart. But you, you do what you need to do and humble people and humble them and humble her and humble it and humble oh, that situation and humble my boss. And, and then God says, no, nah, you're going to pray different. You're going to say, Lord, I pray for this situation. I pray your grace over their lives, Lord. I pray that you would love them. Lord, I pray for, for that job, Lord God. I pray that you will continue to cause that business to prosper, Lord God. Though. And Lord God, that you would bless my my boss, Lord God, that he will continue to lead effectively, Lord. Thank you for him. Continue to bless his finances, Lord. Lord, thank you for that person blank who hurt me, who said this about me, Lord. I, I pray blessing in their lives. I pray that they would receive you in such a way like never before, that you would give them such great understanding of who you are, Lord God, that you would take them to places in the spirit that they've never been. I pray that you would prosper them, Lord God, in their heart, prosper them spiritually, prosper their family, Lord, prosper their ministry. I pray, and when you begin to pray into these people's lives, your heart becomes tender and you set yourself free from allowing those things and those people to have a hold on you because now you're liberated and you're praying into and you're not just praying for that. It's not about you anymore. I challenge you. Because the Lord wants to do a work in you. And, and the work that he wants to do in you you, you, you might not understand this, but the great cause might be because he wants to work through you into someone else's life. I know Charlene is here with her dad, and I'm going to speak from the heart like if my dad was here. If that wasn't a place of love coming from her into you, the Lord would have never been able to restore. Never been able to restore. But before this ever happened, that needed to happen first. And in the process of making this happen again, he took her through a journey to get her heart right, pure, lovely, and praiseworthy. So when the Lord ordained for you to come back, her heart was already tender to receive the Father that God was giving her. You guys are a picture of heaven, the miracle of God, of how the Lord has to deal with an individual to then be a blessing into another individual. And now they begin to live and operate in that love and that truth. If I were to ask you, Charlene, your prayers changed for your father. No longer, Dad, you, my father who's not there. 
or the hurt that I have because of whatever's happened in your life and your family. But your prayers became, Lord, bless him. Lord, touch him. Lord, love him. Lord, honor him. Lord, glorify yourself. And what that did was it began to change you. And as it began to change you, when you came into the picture, she was ready to receive you because that miracle already happened in you. It's a neighborhood, man. It's a community. It's love. This stuff, pray different. Okay, listen, you've been wronged. Guess what? Guess what? We all have. We, um, we stink at times and others stink at times. And we've been wronged. But you don't stay wronged. You make things right. And it's not by getting even. It's by, I have another cheek. Might as well slap that one too. And change the way you love. And change the way you pray into that. And change the way you pray into the situation and into that person. And watch the miracle begin to happen inside of you. And the Lord will begin to restore. You know what happens when you start to pray for the one who's offended you? Be very careful. The door's going to open at any moment. Where now, you're going to have to serve that person. And I get it. That that what I'm praying for today, he's going to call me to serve it again on another day. And I'm going to be ready to serve it because of the seed that I'm planting in prayer today. Plant the seed of prayer. Plant the seed of prayer. A loving neighbor prays. A loving neighbor prays. A loving neighbor prays. Plant the seed of prayer. And I promise you he's going to open up the door for you to serve that thing again. And that thing is going to come to its knees and stand before the presence of God alongside you. Plant the seed of prayer. A loving neighbor prays. Praise his prayers. Come on, stand with me. Whoa.